In today's day and age, you can find hemp CBD products nearly everywhere. Uncana is a veteran-owned and operated CBD business who are vertically integrated with local Denver, Colorado hemp pioneers, giving them complete oversight into their operations from seed to sell. Their products are organically grown using local Colorado hemp, FDA registered and current good manufacturing practices facilities, using the latest food grade extraction technology and systems, ISO 17025 accredited third-party lab testing facilities, and a rigorous quality assurance and quality control throughout their entire process helps you feel confident that you're receiving one of the highest quality products on the market. As a veteran, Kobe and his team at Uncanna are also fighting to remove the barriers to natural alternatives for service members by advocating for the reversal of the DOD ban on non-intoxicating hemp-derived CBD products. Check out Uncanna today. Head over to uncanna.com. Are you wanting to buy veteran but having a hard time locating those businesses? Mentors for Military created a veteran-owned business directory. Help out local and national veteran-owned businesses by visiting veteranownedus.com. They'll appreciate your business during these difficult times. Again, that's veteranownedus.com. If you enjoy our show, then you can help us bring great guests and content each week by making a donation at patreon.com. Our site there is patreon.com slash mentors, the number four MIL. We appreciate everybody who has helped us along this way in this journey, and we're extremely proud and thankful for each and every one of our donors. Become a donor by visiting patreon.com slash mentors, the number four MIL. Again, that's patreon.com slash mentors for mail. Veteran suicide has remained consistent over the last decade despite VA programs and thousands of nonprofits who are focused on finding solutions. Here's a sobering statistic for you. According to the VA, more veterans died by suicide from 2005 to 2017 than the total number of U.S. troops who died in 30 years of war in Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. If you're listening to this and currently struggling, Get help now. Don't wait. Call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Again, call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Byron and Ryan join me on this episode to discuss the concerns we all share on the alarming number of veteran suicides, especially within the last 12 months. They also talk about their own personal struggles and how they got help. Ryan is is a is a he'll introduce himself in a second, but he's a, currently a special forces. Uh, 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 Bravo, correct? Correct. And uh, he started a group that I found to be quite awesome uh, called the Gorilla Group. Uh, recently, we've had a lot of suicides. I don't know. I mean, we've already been having a lot. But recently, I don't know if it's just near and dear to me and Ryan. But we were like, dude, this is ridiculous. Guys that have everything going for them uh, that, just, that just checked out. And what what's really crushing us is that 
the conversation never started. You know, nobody knew there was a problem. Nobody knew that these individuals um, were struggling and had internal demons that were that severe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ryan started a group, obviously, before all this. Um, this has been an epidemic for quite some time uh, that I think is needs to have a voice and needs to be heard on a platform such as this. So... Take it away, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I just start from the top. Um, I was born and raised in Florida. Um, my entire life was just very active in sports and the outdoors. Um, I had ADHD growing up, and my parents didn't believe in medicine, so they were like, dude, we got to keep you outside to burn all this off. So very active and played just about every sport. I and, thought you were going to um, say something like they tied you to a uh, clothesline or something like that and let you run back and forth. You know, that, <laughs> that probably would have been a better option. I would have gotten less trouble had they done that. But um, So I grew up always outside, always on the go. Uh, after high school, ended up joining the Army. Um, I was in the infantry for about seven years did a deployment to Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and then the Afghan trip, I lost uh, four of my buddies in the platoon. And that kind of started me down this path. Uh, after that, went to selection, joined Special Forces, got stationed with First Group, and have been doing that for the last um, about seven years. A um, couple deployments with Group. And then on this last trip specifically, um, our our echo on the team uh, was killed. After um, this most recent trip, I, I recognized that I was kind of heading down this same path that I did back in 2010 with that Afghan trip. So I took some steps to uh, get myself off the path I was going. But while doing so, um, realized that what had helped me and what had provided me some relief are things that I see other people struggling with. And I felt the need to like share my experiences, not to give people advice, not to try and like be a a therapist or anybody else, but just to be like, Hey, these are my struggles. These are where I messed up. This is what I have done that has provided some help and to try and rebuild that community. Um, So started a company called Gorilla Group. Uh, with the sole purpose of just trying to get people connected again. You know, I, I've i seen it and I've personally done it when guys get back from trips. Uh, you become very disconnected. You're no longer living day-to-day with the guys. You don't have that uh, face-to-face communication every day. And I think that's when things start to become dangerous. So, um, yeah, started, a, started that company and just trying to figure out what I don't even want to say solution, but what the what the way forward is? How can we, you know, do something to help what's going on? Because clearly, uh, suicide is still just a, a massive issue, and um, just trying to figure out what we can do better to help. 
you know, there's uh, a problem that we all recognize here on this episode, you know, about this situation. You know, there's been all kinds of nonprofits and organizations that have been founded around 22 a day and trying to reduce it, including, you know, making mission statements that they're going to reduce some percentage over some period of time. And, and uh, you know, with all of the nonprofits that are focusing on suicide of veterans, one would think that we would be a lot closer to resolving the issue. Yet what we find is that this continues more and more because honestly, nobody has the golden ticket and understands the challenges that are going on here. Um, it, it's something like you, you described in the very beginning, uh, Byron, where people are holding it in. They're not talking about it. People think that you're okay. And then all of a sudden you find it. Oh my God, I, I never knew. So you know, you'll start hearing things like check on your buddy. Well, we do. We check on our buddies all the time. We're constantly in communication, you know, and yet but the problem becomes that it's still not socially accepted. So talking about our problems, because we go through this training and, you know, being from third ranger battalion, being from the special forces, being from a Delta force unit or a uh, squad or a, a, a seal team or something of that nature you know, there's this montage that goes, I'm good. I can handle this. I got this. You know, none of my other buddies are going through this, but the problem is is they don't know that they're keeping it bottled up and they're going, I'm good. I got this. Nobody else has these issues. And then the, at the end of the day it happens and it's like, I got these issues, but I don't want to come out and talk about it. I don't want, I don't want to tell anybody because now it's a pride thing. And again, like I said, it's, it's not socially acceptable. So how do you make something within our community that people aren't accepting as, oh, it's okay. Dude, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to have bad dreams or insomnia or however PTSD is hitting you or talking about the loss of your friend. You know, up, oh, I'm going to take this because that's what we do in combat. I lose a buddy, gain fire superiority, fight the battle figure this shit out later yeah and then that's what we do with our emotions right and i I think you know especially in the soft community there is that that tough guy ego shit where it's like hey like you know i'm a i'm a tough green beret like i i should be able to handle the loss of a buddy or you know whatever other life factors get thrown in your way so like, I don't need to talk to anybody or I'm in a position of leadership, whether it's uh, being a senior on a team or team sergeant, whatever, like, hey, I, you know, the guys are counting on me. Like I can't uh, show vulnerability that I'm struggling with something, you know, and then it, end up, it ends up getting packed away and never dealt with. And then that's when things get dangerous is guys come home. They're no longer living with their buddies every day. Uh, you're disconnected and then you have access to alcohol. And I, I mean, I, I don't know the statistics, but I, from personal experience of uh, the multiple friends of mine that have killed themselves, alcohol has always played a factor. You know, that is, that's just, um, just one of those things where guys, guys drink to disconnect from their feelings. But then when they find themselves alone, they get uh, to feeling like they're drowning with these emotions and then alcohol is involved and then they make a poor decision. I, I would guarantee that, you know, the amount of people that have killed themselves had they not been drinking would have never done it, you know? So, 
I, I think it's important for guys to be able to assess like, hey, I'm going through some stuff right now. I really need to give myself a, a fair shake and just, you know, not drink for a little while so I can process this shit. And it's also incumbent on your friends to recognize like, hey, I know this guy just lost his buddy and his wife just left him. Like, I need to pay this guy some special attention and make sure that he's kind of take it easy on alcohol or he's not drinking alone because that's you know that's when the shit usually happens well let's break this down or can we break this down and maybe those who are on active duty versus those who are not because i wonder if there is also um i i don't know the statistics behind this but i, I begin to wonder those who have separated and have gone back home or have started a lifestyle wherever they are may not have that strong nucleus around them that they did while they were on active duty and somebody who's looking after them or carrying after them on a constant basis they go back to to iowa to michigan to new mexico you know they some of them decide they want to go and and check out and and get off the radar and everything and stuff and so um, they're out there isolated, whereas those who are still on active duty, even though you're not actively training, you're kind of coming back and decompressing, you know, you're still connected with other team members. And so I wonder, is there something there or is this something that um, can be can be controlled differently based on someone on active duty versus not because i know the i know first special forces command is really heavily right now trying to break the stigma trying to create a mm -hmm. culture where hey it's okay to come forward we actually want you to do that I, and we're not saying this because we just want to say the words we realize this is a, an issue and we want to confront it so if that's the case right maybe there is two different ways to handle this i don't know um throwing that out there that's exactly why I I felt the need to kind of talk about this. I think there are multiple stories from multiple guys um, talking about their struggles, but I would say an overwhelming majority of those guys are already out, right? So when people hear these stories, they're like, oh, well, he can talk about it and get help and be open with it because he's out. Like, th there's no repercussions for his career. Um, hmm. I, I think it's a little rarer to hear somebody that is still active duty and then somebody that's in a soft unit be very open and vulnerable about their struggles and what they've done. And, you know, to show people that th there is no repercussions. Um, I, I hear it all the time from guys like, Oh, I, I can't go to uh, behavioral health because my command will do this, that and the other, or I'll get blackballed. Maybe I'm living in a, uh, a utopia and first group has exceeded the standard, but I'm here to say I have been very open about the things I've struggled with. I have received nothing but the utmost support from everybody from my team sergeant all the way up to the group sergeant major. Um, very open about, hey, these are the things that I, I'm struggling with. This is how I need help. This style of help isn't working. I need to find something different. Not once have I ever been blackballed or kept from going to a school deployment. Um, like, you know, my group sergeant major came and talked to me one-on-one -on -one and was just like, Hey, how can we help you better? You know, and from your perspective, what can we do to uh, make sure that the system in place stays current and is giving people what they need, you know? And so 
when people tell me like, oh, I can't go talk because it'll affect my career. Like, I, I just don't see it. I think that's a stigma from back in the day that's just uh, been perpetuated and guys just assume that, oh, if, if they speak up, then something bad will happen to the career. Like, that's just, that is not the case. And if it is the case, then that needs to be addressed. If you try to seek help and your command blackballs you in any way, like, then you need to bring that up to the next level and say, hey, like, I am trying to do these things and I, and I feel like I'm getting held back because either they're doing it and not knowing that it's affecting you in a negative way or they're doing it knowing that it's affecting you in a negative way and they should not be allowed to do that. So the, the process has to start at the ground. It has to start with us, you know, um, and that's, that's really why I wanted to talk about it. It's like if I, as an active duty Green Bray, can come on a podcast and dump all this stuff out here and receive nothing but the utmost support, then there's no single reason why anybody else in any other branch should not be able to do the same mm-hmm. and communicate that, hey, kind of having a hard time dealing with this. I need, I need to go talk to behavioral health and get some ideas on what I can do to help myself. I think once the stigma starts getting broke on or gets corrected, I should say on active duty for active duty personnel. Um, my, my hope is that we'll start seeing less of uh, suicide attempts and um, suicides once they, they transition out. That, that would be the hope. But I would also hope that those who are still on active duty who know you know, brothers in arms that have gotten out that had situations where they, they kind of feel like maybe they, they have, you know, post-traumatic stress. They're showing the signs, everything's right there and they're off active duty. Well, now that you've received help or you're, you're aware that Ryan or Byron went through this type of treatment, you know, and and you recognize those things, then reach out and, and start talking to that dude. Maybe, maybe they don't even realize that there's something wrong because in some cases it's not necessarily wrong. It's, it's, uh, it's just kind of the new being, the new, the new reality, Mm -hmm. the new world they're having to deal with. And it's difficult to do that as well. Right. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's also something that we've never as a country had to deal with this because we've never been at a war this long. We've never, had multiple generations of people who have been actively in combat um no matter what and then when it's all over when you do 14 years in service and like i've said i actually i think i said it on the very first podcast we ever did i said the movie reel stops boom it's over the you know donning the kit you know and and doing the radio checks and going out and killing bad guys and doing being the tip of the spear and doing all this super cool stuff and then a divorce happens financial issues start to come up on you you don't get that check on the first and the 15th you feel you know now you're fighting for health care and you're fighting for this and you're fighting for that family doesn't understand your friends don't understand you yeah and and you and you don't feel like you have anywhere to turn but at the end of the day the movie rule hasn't stopped you still there's still awesome and amazing things that you're going to continue to do um all you have to do is apply the drive and the determination in which you entered the service with when you're that 
young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed PFC who's like, I'm going to go kill bad guys in Afghanistan. And you're like, <laughs> and they, your first squad leader says, what schools do you want to do? Sniper school, ranger school, halo school, air assault, airborne, you know, all of the schools. You want to do everything. And then, like, you get in, you're like, yeah, no, nope, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You, you start to become more cynical because of what your life experiences have given you. And then you leave the service, and it's like, well, this is even shittier. So I don't want to deal with it anymore. So I haven't given up or quit anything in my life up to this point. But now I'm going to take the biggest quitting way out of it. And then you, you yeah, you, you win. You're right. Absolutely. You're no longer going to suffer. But guess what? Your family, your children, the people you say that don't love you, all that do absolutely love you are left with that. And now you've created a perpetual cycle. You know, I know like for me having attempted suicide, having sat there, the things that went through my, I still keep them in my phone and stay even just saying the words that I have the letters in my phone to, to my, my three children that I read them. I read them not all the time, but, you know, every time I need a reminder of where I've come from and what I've accomplished, writing that suicide letter with the intent of never waking up again, you know, I remember my justification was, well, my, I, I had, I had this happen to my family. I have suicide in my family. They did it or they tried, you know, they're okay. You know, my whole family's, you know, and I was like using all these stupid little things that were just completely asinine because just like Ryan said, what was the, what was my catalyst? Overprescribed VA medication and, and alcohol. Worst combo mm -hmm. under the sun. And mm -hmm. if it wasn't for that 82nd airborne officer or former, he was a veteran, sternum rubbing me and sitting there talking with me. And I'm going, wow, wow, I have such a greater purpose. And that's why I've gotten involved with groups like the Gorilla Group. That's why I've gotten involved with the groups like Rescue 22, providing free service dogs for veterans. Because uh, the VA still doesn't pay for that stuff. Uh, they, they expect you to pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 for a service dog out of your money. And you're already mm. broke. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know... A lot of it, you know, is having people understand when you leave the service, you've got to continue moving forward and you've got to find a passion again. Exactly what the Red Gorilla Group is doing through activities and through the sports and giving them that, that outlet. Well, so that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues because I, I feel like people are, um, they're looking for somebody else to like, fix the issue for them. Mm -hmm. They're like, Hey, uh, prescribe me some medication or like fix me. Like that's, that's not how it works. And th I also think that there's some guys are afraid to go to behavioral health or afraid to hop on medication because all you ever hear about is, Oh, this medication messed me up. And it made me feel me personally. I've, I've been taking Zoloft for the last like seven months and I have, great effects from it i think when people understand that medication is not a solution it is a it is a temporary band-aid to allow you to then 
put in the hard work yourself for yourself. I think guys will hop on meds and be like, well, I'm taking this. I don't have to do anything else and I should be better. Like that's not how it works. You know, it's a, it's a temporary band-aid to give you an even playing field to now put in the hard work yourself to get better. And, you know, when I, I can't personally speak for when somebody gets out and retires because I, I have not been down that road yet, but um, that was the whole point of trying to do the, the gorilla group thing was like, man, how can, because guys get home and they will just sit in their house and watch Netflix or drink or like do whatever. And that's just slowly eating away because that's, that's stagnant, you know? So how can we bridge the gap between people that want to, go out and they want to learn new things. They want to do things. They want to go on adventures and have fun. And then on the other side of that gap is the people that are actually doing those things. Like how can I make that gap smaller by trying to create a community, giving away free surfboards, skateboards, rock climbing gear, and then being like, Oh, Hey, here's these people in your area that are doing these things. Like get your ass off the couch, stop drinking by yourself, come out, and learn something new because I think when people start to just like they did when they were in the military, when you have a task in front of you, you have a new subject to learn or you're in a school or you have a purpose, people find a lot of relief when they're accomplishing these small steps to attain a goal or they have a purpose or they have something. So just, I don't know, that, that has worked very well for me. Um, I, I realized that I needed something I needed the next challenge or the next thing to accomplish. And by doing so, I get those small rewards each day that just build on top of each other and it provides momentum to put in the work yourself. You know, I, people, I, I think it's just very misunderstood that nobody can do it for you. Like I, what's the old saying? Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force the horse to drink or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there are services out there that are there to help you, but if you do not actively go and put in the work, nobody can do it for you. And the the issue of suicide will never completely go away because at the end of the day, if somebody really wants to do it, there is nothing that anybody else can do to stop it. It has to come from within. Um, I was talking about this with a friend of mine the other day, and she equated it to being in a small rowboat and trying to row away from the island when the tide is pushing you towards the island, right? It doesn't matter how much effort you put in, as long as you continue to put effort, you'll slowly be able to row away from this island that represents, you know, your, your depression and your struggles. But the moment you stop and just kind of sit stagnant, that tide is eventually going to bring you right back to the island. So you have to continue to put in the work yourself and utilize what is available for you to give you a little extra boost, give you some help, you know. What a great analogy. I think what's um, what's also important here to mention is that we, we talked at the top here about how many organizations exist out there trying to, to stop this this problem. And, and so there's nothing wrong with an individual going and checking on several different organizations to see if something they're doing might be beneficial. 
um, whether it's being on the surf, whether it's, you know, going um, to a couple's retreat type of thing, whether it's going and hanging out and, you know, shooting weapons with your buddy or going hunting and stuff like that, that some of these organizations do, or, you know, they, there, there's so many different ways that people are trying to combat and, and support and help individuals who are suffering with post-traumatic stress that there's not a one size fits all. And I think that's also what you're trying to say, Ryan, is that in some cases mm -hmm. you may have to go and experience several different things in order to find what works. And it may be that it's a combo. It's not just one. Right. Thing. Right. And I, I feel like some people look at uh, some of these organizations and they're like, Oh, this organization is built to help fucked up guys. And like, I don't want to show up to an event or reach out because I don't want to be known as somebody that is struggling or I don't think I'm struggling. So there, I, I feel like there's almost uh, like a, a barrier there because they don't want to, they're not ready to be that vulnerable to be like, Hey, yeah, I am struggling. So, and th that's how it was for me. I had a very hard time initially breaking that barrier and going to behavioral health. But what, really helped me out the most was being surrounded by other people that may or may not have had the same situations happen to in life. That was irrelevant, but we were like outside going fishing, drinking beers and just bullshitting in a very non-threatening like way. Like we didn't go out there to talk about like, Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. It's just having a good time with people that I like. And then that stuff comes as you, connect with people they start to realize like you know your that conversation will happen on its own and i think at least personally that's what i'm trying to uh get out there it's like hey you know this this gorilla group thing is not like hey come here we'll fix you it's a therapist it's just like dude just a bunch of cool people doing cool things and just come get connected make some new friends and if you need a support system like here it is you know um but it Again, it comes back to that stigma. It's, you know, guys have to be able to tell themselves that like, hey, I can, I can say that I'm struggling with something and still be a hard dude. Another one of my friends, we had this conversation and he was like, everybody thinks to be this tough guy, you have to not have emotions. You, not ha you have to not admit when you're struggling. Like, to be honest, that's, that's easy. Anybody can just pretend like they're okay and just be like, yeah, nothing's bothering me. The real tough guy shit is being able to talk about what's wrong, being able to show emotions besides anger and be able to still continue to do my job. You know, like, Hey, yes, I am struggling with some things. I'm, I'm hurting with this, that, and the other, but I'm still going to do my job. That's the real tough guy shit is a complete human and not just this uh, stoic, angry person that doesn't, feel anything or struggle with anything so I, I think that misinterpretation is is out there and needs to be squashed you know that's not a tough guy <clears throat> absolutely i agree with that 100 percent. like with everything that you just said i my biggest fear right now and i think we're going to see this more and more and i hope i i hope i'm wrong and i hope i can stick my foot in my mouth but i can't tell you how many times in the past month I have watched the news and just tears have ran down my face and I look at the, I, I look at the, uh, at my bracelet and I just sit here and I look at these names and I'm like, you died for this. 
and more and and I struggle with it and I have I've called I just uh, had a uh, reunited with a ranger buddy who came down for vacation um, here in Destin and I just sat there and I was like this is so hard for veterans like us who have done the do and done the deed and watched our brothers die for a country that and I'm not saying everybody but mm-hmm. Everything that you see on the radio or hear on the radio and see on TV is nothing but negativity and not what this country was founded on. Or, And I feel like veterans are going to really start to push back because e- either it's going to be extremely positive and it's going to give veterans a outlet to fight for what they believe in on their own soil, or it's going to go the polar opposite and they're just more veterans are going to... It's going to create a depression well, in them. Isn't the part of the challenge that we find anyway with guys who are coming off back of duty is the loss of that tribe mentality, that loss of that uh, camaraderie and everything. And when they get out and they're isolated, like we were talking about, and they're not near somebody, then that depression starts seeking, uh, seeping in because their friends, when they go back home and their family don't understand them and they have nobody that's like-minded. I think what you're also stating here that we see from many organizations is that that tribe, you know, they, they try to create a group of like-minded people where you can hang out and have the same thoughts and, and work together towards the same common good, whatever that may be. If it's fixing yourself, if it's just having a good time, because the end goal is still you're connecting with people who understand you. And and that should hopefully open up dialogue and communication at some point with these individuals, especially if a few of them, like the two of you, are are very open-minded and can pick out symptoms or signs that you can see that you might say, Hey, you know, we need to talk. Right. That's, that's exactly it. It's that, it's that tribe mentality. And I don't know this is the statistics, but I would bet an entire paycheck that the suicide rate of guys that are actively in country on deployment is significantly less to when they're CONUS and they're stateside, you know? So I, I look at that and I'm like, why is that? When I'm in country, there's, I, I mean, there's access to guns and ammo and things everywhere, right? And that's also where these traumatic events are happening. So why is the suicide rate way lower in country than it is back home? And I can really only look at two things. And that's one, disconnect from the tribe, right? You're no longer living with your boys every day. They they don't interact with you every day. They can't tell when you're in a shitty mood or, or whatever. And two, it's the influence of alcohol. And I'm not trying to demonize alcohol at all, but I think the combination of those two, they're back home. They're not living with their buddies anymore. They're by themselves. Like they feel disconnected. Right. So, and, and like, that's the whole thing is you got to stay connected because human beings are, we're tribe people, man. You, you we're built to be with other people. We're not built to be by our, ourselves, you know? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I do have to say, though, alcohol is, no, it's not good, but if it, everything in moderation, right? Because alcohol is a depressant. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're bored and you're not wanting to do anything and, or anything like you just start doing more and more of that and, and less of, you know, things that stimulate your brain – other than living in your past or living in, in that moment that you 
we'll never live again or whatever the case may be, um, you know, that, that you have to be in moderation, you know, and, and that's where guys, you know, they seep into a, any type of stimulant like that. You're not in the right mind. You're not in the right, right. Like, just like you and I both know all you're not in the right mind when you're intoxicated on whether it's medications or alcohol or whatever. And then you start thinking, man, you know, my effing divorce, you know, you know, life was so much easier when I was with the boys killing bad guys. You know, it was just me and the boys out there just just doing the do, you know, and then you're you're getting yapped at by your wife or your girlfriend and then you're like you got you look over at your kitchen table and you're saying I, i'm literally reliving scenarios right now for right. You know, on this on this podcast because that was me i'm not like speaking out this is like personal experience looking over oh man past due bill crap you know i got i need to get offshore again or i need to go find a better job than where i'm at you know oh my government screwed me because you know, the government's, you know, pushing oil over seas. So now I got to find another career field because, you know, commercial diving is a complete dead end street, you know, and it was just like, and then you get drunk and you, you make right. stupid decisions. I was going to add to what you were commenting about earlier, Ryan, that is there possibly a third thing? And that is that the op tempo that's there when you're in country is so high that not only the other two factors are there, but you're also constantly engaged. Your mind's always on the next mission set, getting prepared, you know, getting prepared and everything else. Whereas idle minds, there's another old saying, you know, about idle minds. And, and when they come back stateside, um, they don't have that op tempo. They're not around their tribe any longer. And they search for those avenues in which they can kind of check out. And alcohol is one of those opportunities. Exactly. It's, uh, you know, yep. like Byron, Byron said, alcohol is a depressant. Like, so if you're already struggling, you're literally pouring gas on the fire. You know, you're not <laughs> right. doing yourself any favor. Um, and Robert, to go like with what you were talking about, um, that's, that's exactly this last trip. So um, Dustin was killed at the beginning of month two of our six month rotation. And we had to, lack of a better term, stack it up and finish the trip, right? We still got operations to do. You still have stuff to do. Um, but I always found that when I was out on operations, I was way happier because I had all these, these stimuli in my way. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, an assault cell leader. I have to push my partner force. I have to communicate with the commander. I have to like do all these things. So I don't have time to, be in my thoughts and dwell on things. I have these distractions, but then come back from operation and we have like a week down at the team house. That's when things really started to get bad is I have all this free time and I'm just sitting in my room watching movies or, you know, whatever. And I was just like, man, I, I have to positively engage myself when I'm back. You know, I, if I just sit stagnant, I'm going to go crazy. Um, mm -hmm. You no, know, that particular trip, it was just like, I, I felt like I got slammed with one thing after the other. I leave for this trip with only being home nine months from the last trip. So you don't ever actually get to reset because you're keyed up off the last trip. You come home, get, I don't know, maybe two weeks off. 
and then you ramp right back into a train up for the next trip. So you don't ever really get to unwind going to the next trip. Um, a teammate, a friend gets killed right after that, uh, a serious relationship ended. And it was just like, I was just getting gut punched like one after the other. And I was like, dude, I am, man, I'm sick of this, you know, and come month four or five, like I was just struggling. Thank God I had teammates that actually cared. You know, my team started pulling me aside and was like, Hey man, what is going on? Like, talk to me. And, you know, we talked about some things and I said, Hey, I'm going to go see the behavioral health rep in country. Um, I need to get back on meds. Everybody is super supportive. And then, you know, like one of my best friends was the Delta on the team and he knew something was just not right. You know, we come back from midnight chow or walking back just him and I, and we weren't really talking cause I was just in a mood and, you know, he like stops me before we get back in the team house. And he's like, Hey, what is going on, bro? Like fucking spill it out. And I just, I just started crying and I was like, bro, I am like sucking right now with Dustin and with the relationship ending, you know, and, and I was, and then I had on top of that, one of my daughters was struggling with mental health on her own at home. And I was like, dude, I'm gone. I'm supposed to be a dad and I'm supposed to show my kids how to be okay and how to deal with things. And I'm gone. And I, I, I can't even be there for it. You know, it was just like one thing after the other. And so him just flat out asking me like, dude, stop with the like, Oh no, I'm good, bro. Shit. Tell me what is going on. And I just like dump all this stuff out. And it was such a relief, you know, but then now he is accountable and I am accountable to him. Now I can't hide behind this tough guy bullshit. Somebody else knows my vulnerability and what I'm dealing with. And that keeps me accountable. He kept me in check, checking on me and being like, Hey man, let's go get up. We're going to go roll, do some jujitsu or we're going to go to the gym. Like, Oh, I don't feel like it. And he's like, bro, it's not a fucking option. We're going, you need to get out of your room. Um, you know, and that's a, that's a burden for people. But if you truly care about somebody that is, that is no longer a burden, like you want your buddy to be okay. And you need to have those hard conversations. Absolutely. One. I mean, I've had them with my friends. I mean, I, I have several friends just recently. I've had conversations with where I was concerned about how much they were drinking or, you know, where they were at mentally. And, um, you know, I'm about to have another one real soon, uh, with a friend just because it's like, Hey, you know, I see these things just like he saw on you. And it's like, and that's what it is. It's your tribe. It's your, you know, like for me, I, I'm so blessed that, you know, I do, I have so many things I'm involved in. GSMSG is another organization that I'm a part of. And having that tribe, those people that I can call at any time uh, when I'm struggling, um, I'm also blessed to have an active duty member as my better half. And she understands a lot of those things. But, you know, having that team that I've gone to Iraq with twice on humanitarian aid missions and being able to reach out to them at any time and they're checking on me and I check on them, and, you know, for no reason, you know, we live in different. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Nikki flight RN on Instagram, you know, you, you, mm. she texts me, I text her and say, Hey, what's up? Radio comms check. What are you doing? Oh yeah. Just, yeah. saw you shooting, looking good. Do better. You know, like, you know, you know, like talking shit like we always do, you know, or, or, or Tom or any of the other guys or Pierce, all these guys that are part of this organization that just, 
you you've done something with them in a in a war zone and you have this tribe this bond that you you don't normally get with your everyday average joe schmo and you have the common mm. ground of you're working with people who it, it's a it's a double whammy for most of the people with gsmsg because you have one there are already combat veterans um and two they're now they're they're first responders and medical care workers trauma art nurses uh trauma surgeons and all that stuff so they're already dealing with you know stateside dealing with the the patients and the death that they deal with in the er's and the trauma rooms trauma base so you know it's if anybody knows that it's it's guys like that and you know finding that next thing that you know i i can relate to both the active duty side because like you said you know it's easy when you're you're actively on the team and you're you've got that the next mission the next thing you're doing the workup you're doing all the things happening but when you're out it becomes a lot harder because i was good for a few years until it just started to just my ex-wives would tell you very, very easily, like it was like a snowball. So, well, you know, they're my ex-wives for a reason, but you know, I, I like how it's plural, ex-wives. <laughs> it is, it is. Well, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but there's, but there's signs because actually those are some of the signs as well. How many wives are you drinking? You know, I mean, seriously, there's, right. a, there's a lot of those right. things that are out there. Ryan, I want to touch on something that you mentioned earlier too, and that's been uh, around compartmentalizing. So, you know, we're taught to kind of push things away and compartmentalize, you know, our feelings for one thing, or, you know, what's happening yeah. back at home and those types of things so that we can be in the fight and concentrate on that. But the problem with that is much like, you know, in drinking alcohol or any type of drug, when you come out of it and you become sober again, it becomes the reality and it hits you twice as hard as it did or would have in the very beginning. And so we all need to recognize as individuals that when we choose to compartmentalize our feelings and some of the things that may be going on, that we still have to deal with it at some point. Don't think it's going to go away. That beast still is there. Yep. Right. So that's the that's the compartmentalization is a necessary evil, right? So in the instance of my last trip, buddy gets killed. You you can't just check out and be like, Well, I'm fucking done. You still have a job to do. So unfortunately when these traumatic events happen, they happen in country, you still have a job to do. So you kinda you can deal with it a little bit and then you have to pack it away and push forward. I think we stopped running operations for maybe five days and then we were back on the horse running the gun in because, man, we're here to do a job. And I, it really worried me because on the team, I was um, one of the more senior guys, had a lot of trips under our belt. Some of the other guys in the team, this was only like their second trip and they had never dealt with something like this before. And I knew what was coming. I knew that everybody is going to be able to compartmentalize this. They're going to shove it down inside and deal with it later. The issue when you compartmentalize something is that it almost becomes like calcified, right? You buried Mm -hmm. away and at the time it becomes a lot harder to pull that back out and deal with it. So four months go by, you get home. Yeah, everybody's in a relatively good mood you know like our buddy got killed and 
we went and saw his wife and his kids and those things get stirred up again but guys aren't really dealing with it because they're like oh it's, this is packed away it's compartmentalized and i'm just, i'm gonna leave it there then they start drinking all, like dude when i got home um so i i have struggled on and off over the last i don't know decade with uh drinking for me it's not that i can't i can go months without drinking that's not an issue but it's like once i get past like beer number four or five trains rolling man he ain't stopping right so when we got back from this trip i was like hey i'm good you know like I, i've dealt with this situation before unfortunately i've had um quite a few friends that have been killed right in front of me on operations but like i've been on this horse before i know like i'm good next thing i know we had four day weekends every weekend i'm going on a bender every weekend and it finally gets to a point to where I have to call it a work on a Tuesday because I've been drinking since Thursday night mm. and I can't even get to work because I just, I, I don't want to deal with these emotions. I just want to be detached. Um, you know, and my, my team sergeant, um, just an awesome dude was like, Hey, he came to my house, him and my Delta, they came to my house, talked to me. Okay, good. Going to work the next day on a Wednesday. And he's like, Hey, check it out. I love you, want nothing for the best for you, but you will go to, uh, basically it's ASAP. You know, the army called it something different now, but he's like, hey, this needs to be addressed. There's something going on. And I said, hey, I completely agree. And I just went in there and dumped it all on the floor and I was like, hey man, look, I, I'm having this issue where for some reason, after I have a couple beers, I love the feeling of being detached and I can't stop. And stopped drinking for a while and was just able really to process those emotions and pull that calcified ball of shit up and just be like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. And just allowed myself to feel those emotions because if you don't allow yourself to feel those emotions, you're never going to process it. You're just going to hide it away. Yeah, you're and, never going to do it. Right. It's, it's just going to continually, rear its ugly head when you drink or your lack of connecting with an emotional partner or, or whatever, you know, it's different for everybody, but. I mean, regardless, the, what is actually the same for everybody is if you don't, and it doesn't matter whether it's combat and watching your buddies get shot and killed and blown up in front of you, or whether it's you're a rape victim um, right. in the military or whether is it if you don't process those feelings, if you don't process those things, uh, cops, um, nurses, doctors, all the same stuff. If you, again, do not process the emotions and the feelings in which you felt or had to deal with, it's going to eat you alive from the inside out. And, and almost bar none, it's going to come out in anger, violence. And usually not, maybe not necessarily towards everybody else, but towards yourself and mm -hmm. you become self-destructive. And then that's the, the all, all unfortunate end state is usually suicide. So what do you say to those? Eventually. What do you say to those, uh, those guys, those, those gals that are listening to this and they're saying, Hey, it's not me. I'm not like you said, Ryan, I, I'm not that bad. What you're describing here is for somebody who's really bad. I, I'm not there. Right. So what I would say is, um, for like, first of all, like the phrase I used, Oh, I'm not that bad. First of all, I, I want to take bad out of that phrase 
right? It's it's not bad to be sad or to be upset or to feel right. like, you know, terrible because of life events, because right. my friend got killed or a relationship ended or I, I was sexually assaulted or whatever. Like, it's not bad to feel those emotions. It is a normal reaction to an abnormal event and you have to let yourself feel those emotions and not compartmentalize them. And just because you're feeling those emotions doesn't mean that you can't still be a good person or a good soldier. You can still do your job and feel those emotions and process them. And I think yep. that's what guys uh, guys and girls are worried about is that like, oh, if I admit that I, I'm having a hard time because I was sexually assaulted, then people are going to feel that I can't do my job or I'm less of a person. Like, no, actually, in, in my eyes, you're more of a person because you are like, hey, yes, I am dealing with this and I'm still doing my job. I'm still going through life or whatever. And I, that's what I'm trying to get rid of is the word bad out of that phrase. You know what I mean? Um, where it's like, hey, yeah, I, I am struggling with some things, but I, I'm still here. I'm not checking out. I'm still... You know, and you know what, you, you know, something that while you're saying that is the the question that is like, why me? Why me? Why, 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 why not me? Why not me? Why was, why did he die? And I didn't, why did I get, you know, speaking, not me, but somebody else like, you know, why was I sexually assaulted and not somebody else? Here's the thing. Something I've learned in, with the universe the universe is going to throw to you whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, whatever it is that you believe in. But one thing is for sure, the universe is going to throw things at you because it knows that you can handle it. And the thing is, is that once you're able to process it and once you're able to deal with it, you have been placed on this planet to be an advocate for the one that is struggling. You can be the voice that they can't be. Someone else might not be able to. And it, you could be the one to speak up and say, I was sexually assaulted. I lost my ranger buddy. I lost my buddy on, on a fire team. I watched my guy get incinerated. My best friend get incinerated at an IED explosion. Whatever your story is, you have the ability to have a voice to help those that might try to check out. Right. And so I, there's this phrase that I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it was called, it's uh, like, you can choose to be bitter or you can choose to be better, right? You're never going to be able to stop shitty things from happening to you. The only thing you can control is your reaction to it. So these terrible things happen to you. You can choose to be bitter about it and just sulk about it and, you know, try to detach, or you can use that as a lesson to get better. Um, and that's what I really try to, I don't know, like live my life by is there's always going to be things that happen, but how I react and how I feel about it is 100% in my control. And I can choose to use it as a lesson and get better, or I can just sit here and sulk on it. Um, and you know, that's, <clears throat> that's really the hard thing when it comes to the, the suicide issue is, something I've dealt with and something I've talked with a lot of friends about is that uh, I think it's called like survivor's guilt or whatever. Somebody kills themselves and then now their close friends or family are 
they have this feeling of guilt, like, oh, did I not see the signs or could I have done something more? Um, and that's a whole different bag to unpack, you know, unfortunately. Um, and I, I don't even really know the answer to that. I don't have any answers. I just, man, unfortunately, every time it happens, I just take a moment to reflect and be introspective and be like, hey, you know, what else do I need to do more to make myself more available for a friend to reach out or for a stranger to reach out, you know, and like what can I put in place? And, you know, again, that was the, with the whole company thing. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is there. I don't think there'll ever be a solution, but shit, man, I'm just trying to make it a lot easier for people to feel like it's okay to reach out, you know? So what's what's some of the things that you guys want to um, share as say closing remarks to you know this episode for people who might be listening and what what would you guys say to them? What's the big thing takeaway? I w- I would uh, I would say you're not lesser of a man or a woman to ex- to bring up what you're struggling with. It doesn't make you any less of an operator or badass or cool guy to come forward and bust out crying to you know to seek help um to bring up your struggles you know because nine times out of ten the people that you have around you are struggling with the same exact things and people love you like they do and you don't know what you're doing to your family and the people around you when you decide to check out. You know, you were missed, you were loved, and I I do anything to bring back the ones that I have that I've lost to this. I mean, I think everybody could say like you know, me personally I would give anything to have my friends back that decided to check out um I don't know personally what the reason was that they felt that it was right to check out, but like, man, it's just, it, you know, it's, it's not worth it. Um, there are people that will genuinely help and they care for you, but nobody's going to do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. You have to put in the effort for yourself and seek help, whether that's friends or professional help or whatever. And, Man, if I can sit here as an active duty Green Beret and put all my shit out there and have zero repercussions and get full support from everybody, there's no reason why anybody else can't. It doesn't make you less of a person to be able to admit like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sad or I'm struggling with something. It makes you more of a person to be able to admit those things and actually put in the work to fix those things while still continuing on with your life. Um, that's really what I want people to understand. And I, I want them to understand, like, you have to help yourself. Don't be stagnant. Don't just sit at home feeling sorry for yourself, drinking. Cut out the, the accelerants, like alcohol, if you're struggling, and put into work to learn something new, to engage in adventures or something to Stimulate your mind again, because if your mind is stagnant, it's going to turn into mush. Sooner or later, it's going to fucking turn against you. And that's the worst thing that can happen. 
If you're listening to this and currently struggling, get help now. Don't wait. Call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Again, call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. 